Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. How's that for a slice of fried gold? Yeah, boy! Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in from Los Angeles, California. Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more with your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. I'm Leo. I'm Lauren. And I'm Trevor, and we are the Boo Crew. Welcome to episode 235. Here's a Boo Crew Fright Fact. In 2004's Shaun of the Dead, the day of the zombie invasion when Shaun walks to the corner shop and he doesn't notice the zombies in the streets and corpses all over, the scene was shot in one long take. This time around, you're hanging out with filmmaker, actor, and author, the amazing Nick Frost! Join us as we talk horror, the paranormal, creating the perfect villain dissecting Lauren's favorite scene from her favorite movie in the entire world and likely one of yours too, Shaun of the Dead. Then, it's a journey into the 1940s for his latest role as Dr. Bertram in the delightfully dark Why Women Kill Season 2 airing exclusively on Paramount Plus now with a new episode every Thursday. Episode 235 starts now. Where's safe? Where's familiar? Where can I smoke? The Boo Crew dusts a fright flick off the shelf for ah! Horror Homework. We're going to go around the room and around the world wide web, all the way out to Leo in beautiful downtown. To each highlight a horror flick to each other and possibly even to you that we consider a must see, perhaps worth a revisit or things we want to see that we haven't seen yet. Starting as usual. With our man, Leo. Hey, have you guys uh, checked out Caveat yet? No, I want to, though. Everybody's been talking Ooh. about this. I can't wait. Tread no, lightly. No spoilers here. <laughs> oh, my God. Tread very, very lightly, as much as I can here. Much like, like a ghost. I thought you said uh, Trev lightly. Trev lightly? I, like, I was like, yeah. Oh. Is it is it as good as everyone's saying it is? The first 30 seconds are just creepy. I mean, I'll, I'll break it down for a year, just in a bit here. But I'll say that, you know what? A lot of people have not watched this yet or discovered it because it, I, I feel like it's getting buried. Because of the Romero release of, of um, what is the other title that just came out that people are, are excited about? Oh, you're talking about George Romero's The Amusement Park. Yes, The Amusement Park. Yeah, that movie's kind of getting all the attention. So I feel like Caveat is still being showcased, but it's the, sort of, you know, getting bypassed by a lot of people. I, I was in a couple uh, clubhouse rooms over the weekend, and uh, I think me and somebody, some other person mentioned it. And all the people that were in there, like, have never even heard of it. Yet they watched the other one, so I was kind of like surprised. I'm like, guys, you guys got to check this out. It's on Shutter. 
The movie is written and directed by Damien McCarthy. It's out of the UK. It's an Irish film filmed in Ireland, and it's got a really small cast. It's got Jonathan French as Isaac, Layla Sykes as Olga, and Ben Kaplan as Barrett. Now, just a quick short synopsis here about the movie. In an abandoned house on an isolated island, Isaac accepts a job looking after his landlord's niece, Olga, but there is a catch. He must wear a leather harness and chain that restricts his movements to certain rooms in order to protect Olga's extremely frail mental state. Once left alone, Isaac starts to make horrific discoveries in the house that, well, you're just going to have to keep watching. (laughs) The movie does kick off with a really creepy mood-setting opening. There's, I mean, I I totally thought of you guys, because it's like, there is a very unique prop used in the first 30 seconds of this film that I think you guys need to have in your collection. I haven't even seen it, and I want it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's There's this prop where Olga is walking around in this dark, creepy house, holding this tribal looking toy i'm gonna call it by the ears okay and it's kind of like her it's sort of like a divinity you know a divin what is it called divination rod or yeah she's holding it and walking through the house and this little toy plays the drums when it senses something so i mean those first 30 seconds i mean of the movie are just fucking creepy it's saying this whole mood because you don't know what she's doing you don't know what she's holding or what she's expecting or you know what's going on so she does this, and it's just, it's just it just creeps you out immediately. The movie does an excellent job at getting to you, creeping you out along the way, as it introduces you to the various aspects of the house and the main character, Olga. So she alone, just her alone, she does some creepy things in this movie that will just, just stay with you. Like, kind of think of the final, end, like the end scene of the Blair Witch Project. Oh, example. my favorite! Yeah, she does some creepy things that you're just like, why? Why are you doing this? I love that kind of just, shit. Yeah, it's it's crazy. The music by Richard G. Mitchell is really good and effective in this movie. There are times when the music drops and you're just left with the sound of the creaky house or the chains or the creepy tribal toy thing. All of it just makes this movie one hell of a lot of creepy fun. I really enjoy this movie as it creates so much great atmosphere with so very little, but it is very well written and directed. And I could see this one becoming a classic, you know, one of those things go bump in the night type of creepy classic movies. Yeah, I highly recommend to check it out. It's currently streaming on Shudder. One we recommend you put on your radar is this new film, Queen of Spades. Woo! A time of release oh, in nice. select theaters and on demand now. It's on Blu-ray June 25th. So this is about a group of kids who play a Bloody Mary type ritual game called Queen of Spades. Now, this is an actual thing in Russia. You need a Queen of Spades playing card, a dark room, a mirror, a candle, and a lipstick. You got to play it between 11 and 3 a.m., ideally at midnight, and the idea is to summon the Queen of Spades who will grant you a wish. But you got to make sure she doesn't escape from the mirror into your world. And in an emergency, you're supposed to break the fucking mirror if this happens. 
I would t- explain how exactly to play this game, but the shit freaks me out so much. I don't even want to put it out in the air. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh my gosh! No, seriously. I get, like there are instructions. I don't <laughs> right. want to be held liable. Right. But if you're interested, right. you can look this up and you can uh, go yeah. through with. Uh, would you? You wouldn't do something like that, Leo? Would you? Oh hell no! No way! No way! I, I, anything like remember that game? It was a Charlie Charlie with the pencils. Yeah, yeah. Like I would, I wouldn't even do that. Like that, like that would fucking freak me out because anything remotely like that, which allows you to open, open or, a yeah, portal or, or summon something. Yeah. No man, no way. Like I don't care how simple it is, how stupid it may seem. It's like no way. I'm off. Yep. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> Same thing. Scares the shit out of me. So yeah. you might, you might enjoy this film though, because the kids do it for you, and it's directed by Patrick White. <laughs> Patrick's part of the Brook Street Pictures Collective. That would be alongside Trevor Matthews and John Knotts, who also brought us 2007's fantastic Jack Brooks Monster Slayer, and Pat White co-wrote that one. Queen of Spades has an incredibly crazy open. Lauren, you remember? crazy shit that went down right at the beginning the opening scene oh yeah which was pretty devastating and it's got an amazing star in 17 year old ava preston who killed it in 2018's favorite of ours i'll take your dead which we strongly recommend adding to your watch list this has got some great possession elements to it too and one of the coolest illustrated posters we've seen in a long time resembling a queen of spades playing card and ava on there superimposed with the the queen of spades herself. It's pretty cool, man. Check it out. I want to talk about a movie that we saw that I really love. It's a family friendly movie. And I kind of always love those because I can incorporate our kids into the mix, which is fun. I don't know if you haven't seen Cruella, but if you haven't, you really should because It's amazing. And I loved the costuming. Oh my gosh. I would love to own one of those dresses. And if you live in Los Angeles, you can see the dresses on display at the El Capitan Theater in Hollywood. I'm not sure how long they'll be there, but you can like Google pictures. It's really, really neat to see And I just, I love Emma Stone. She's such a great actor and she really just sold the whole movie. And it's got Emma Thompson in it, which she's always amazing. And Joel Fry, who we know from In the Earth, he was so awesome. And the whole time Trevor and I were like, He's been in a horror movie recently. What one is it? And it like drove us crazy until we had to look it up. The whole cast was amazing. And the sets, and the writing and the story and all the makeup that's coming out. I see Mac advertisements for Cruella and I'm like, I need that. I see purses in downtown Disney with Cruella and I need that. The so, soundtrack was awesome. Oh my gosh. Florence and the Machine on yes. that shit. Yeah. Just a really cool And it, I would say definitely horror adjacent in terms of the imagery and it's about this classic villain and yeah. had a little, you know, dark themes to it for sure, right? Definitely. Do not snooze on Cruella. It's Disney Plus. You can buy it there or see it in theaters. And reportedly, Cruella 2 is already in development. So you have that to look forward to as well with director Greg Gillespie and writer Tony McNamara expected to return. Hello, this is Nick Frost. And you're listening to another terrifying episode of the Boo Crew. (laughs) My entire life has led up to this moment. 
I see these garden club ladies every week at this bistro downtown. They're so chic. And they seem to have so much fun together. I'd be happy every day of my life if I had a group of elegant friends like that. So, how does someone join a club like that? <laughs> Should I answer it? And say what? Mrs. Yost can't come to the phone. She's buried beneath my begonias. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy studio is a multi-award winning and phenomenally gifted actor, writer, and producer responsible for some of the most unforgettable moments in TV and film history and continues to nurture a legacy of a startling variety of performances and projects, each one more different, influential, and courageous than the last. He began as part of one of the best TV comedies ever created, Spaced, that developed a whole new language in terms of cinematic storytelling, use of music, writing, and its incredibly brilliant infusion of pop culture. Then came Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg's Shaun of the Dead, a film he helped earn more than 13 awards, and through his infallible sense of comedic timing and emotional instinct, did something few ever accomplish. He created a character that became an iconic part of entertainment history in Ed. That continues to be immortalized in the endless stream of our consciousness to this day, with t-shirts, action figures referred to in TV shows and film, and continues to forge a path in the minds of creators building worlds for us to this day. He continued that trajectory with Hot Fuzz and The World's End, tapped for roles in the Oscar-nominated Snow White and the Huntsman, the legendary Doctor Who, voiced a character in Scooby-Doo, starred in Stephen Merchant's hit Fighting With My Family alongside Dwayne Johnson and Florence Pugh, the cult hit Attack the Block, worked with Steven Spielberg. As a writer himself, he brought us Paul, named Best Comedy of 2011 many times over, and most recently created and starred in the awesome Truth Seekers series for Amazon, a six-part BBC radio show and a best-selling book of his personal memoirs. Most recently, he transformed himself into a martial arts badass in two seasons of AMC's Into the Badlands and an unpredictable villain in HBO Max's steampunk adventure, The Nevers. Every move he makes is a delightful surprise as he continually reinvents his creative attack. His latest project is yet another vastly different character than anything he's played before in the brand new season two of Why Women Kill, exclusive to Paramount Plus, a dark and twisted story of betrayal and murder through the lens of Suburbia, we are honored to welcome the inimitable Nick Frost. Um, I'm glad you received the introduction that I wrote. <laughs> thank you for reading it out. <laughs> man, thank you again so much for taking the time out of yeah. your insanely busy schedule know, to hang, you. man. We appreciate it so much. And congratulations on Why Women Kill. It's incredible. So we wanted to start off, though, by getting into a little bit of your relationship with horror and genre as a viewer. What are some of your earliest memories of really diving in and being exposed to a horror movie? Well, look, one of the good things about having a parent who was an alcoholic meant that I could watch what the fuck I wanted, you know. And it was at that time, like, they used to drink in a pub called the Dr. Johnson. And then on a Sunday, the deal was that, you know, they finished. Because in, in, in Britain, pubs would shut during the day and then reopen later. Uh, so once they shut at like three o'clock, then we could go and I could buy it. I could rent a video, which was like this big and I could rent whatever I wanted. My dad would rent whatever I wanted, you know? So my first kind of things were like, I spit on your grave and, uh, um, phantasm and poltergeist and omen 
and 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 some a lot of zombie stuff. My sister was older than me, and she loved zombies, so she was always saying, "Hey, watch this," and I was like shitting myself, you know. And also, Exorcist. How old were you then? I was like ten, I guess. I loved horror from the get go, and that's you know, there's there, I go through long. That's kind of all I will watch, you know, and I'll watch any any of it. I too, you know, even bad horror is sometimes good horror, you know. What is it about horror that compels you? What do you like about it? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think uh, I, I like to be frightened, you know, like like anyone does. We like to second guess what's coming. And then when we're wrong, we get a little, we, we're tantalized slightly, you know. I think I was, we as, as, as a child, I was kind of, um, I was, I went to a Catholic school and we were brought up as Catholics and my mum was a Catholic and, and so seeing ex, um, seeing Omen for the first time as, as like a nine-year-old was, uh, I, I, I think I said to like Eddie years ago, it, it's only recently I didn't, I, I realized that wasn't a documentary. <laughs> you know? And I was terrified. I was terrified of it for years and years. Cause I, uh, and from that, I got, I got a phobia of not a third, I don't know what you call it, but, I had a fear as a child of being possessed and I read tons about it and I was terrified that I was going to be possessed, you know? And then I, in reading about possessions, there was always a a passage that I loved where round about the 16th birthday, it kind of petered out, you know, as, as, as puberty kicks in. And I remember on my 16th birthday, I woke up. (laughs) Yes! <laughs> I can beat the devil. <laughs> and how about any any recent horror film discoveries you made in the past little while? Well, I watched a film like when we were writing Truth Seekers. We we you know, as a lot of writers do, we say, "Oh, let's let's not write. Let's watch a film because that that'll help us." And so you know, we watched lots of stuff there. I watched that, and I'm terrible with titles because my brain doesn't work like that, but. There was like an Austrian film called Mummy or Mother or have you seen it? It's a, like a, a, a mum goes to have, we think, like a, a face transplant or something. She comes back with her head bound in bandages and the kids don't know who she is. It's like, oh, my God, that's fucking great. I'm watching this thing on, on, on uh, like we have Virgin over here, which is like, you know, a satellite provider. And there's a thing called Haunted which is like real people telling their stories of, of what happened to them. And it's kind of from, my girlfriend won't watch it, but half of them are great and chilling. And the other half, I'm like, yeah, fuck, <laughs> right. I'm done. I'm off. So how far back does your interest in the paranormal go? Well, my, my mum was one of like nine sisters and they were all, I mean, they are, there's, there's, I think there's like six of them left now, but they were all spooky as fuck. So they, they're from a place called Pembrokeshire, which is on, on the west coast of Wales. Uh, I imagine it would be like living in, uh, like, what's the place right in, like Vermont or somewhere like that, you know. It's very occulty up there, you know. So the girls, the, the, the sisters, my mum's sisters, would always be saying, but like just chatting, you know, they're chatting and smoking a cigarette and drinking coffee and talking about the fact that someone saw their beheaded son walking down a lane, like who he died in a car crash and they saw him. And, you know, it was always, 
uh, like talked about like it was here, you know. Uh, and my sister, my my auntie Melanie, my mum's sister, when I was like a troubled teen, I would always run away to her house, you know. I'd hitchhike or I'd get like 20 bucks and take the bus to her house and I'd live with her on her couch because she'd let me drink and smoke and, you know. But she, to this day, I still think she's like a vampire because she's, she's never seen out in the daytime. She's a night owl, like proper night owl. But, you know, we'd sit up drinking coffee and smoking and then she'd go to bed and I'd lay on her sofa and I could hear fucking things moving, you know. Like the, the noise of a ceramic cup moving across a glass table is, that's the only thing that noise could be, you know. So stuff like that would always happen to my auntie Melanie and my auntie Betty and my auntie Linda told this story about this kid she knew who was who had the same telekinesic ability that Carrie had. Like, and he'd make this fucking ball bounce around their front room and stuff. So I'm like, you know, they're not liars, but it's, uh, I, you know, I, I, don't know. I think the older I'm getting, the, the more I'm like, oh, what the fuck do I know? Really? You know, I don't know. Now, did you actually visit haunted locations? Is that lore true that you and Simon used to do that together? Yeah, yes. Because obviously we were, we, we kind of didn't have women in our lives. So why don't we drive up to this old Saxon church and see if we can't get in or just walk around the graveyard or so, yeah, we'd actually go and try and, and frighten each other. And we'd, we'd sit in like a forest in a graveyard and just wait for a mist to drift in and then start frightening each other. So then we'd run back to the car screaming, you know. <laughs> Did anything close to real happen or unexplained in any of those times when you visited somewhere? No, nothing at all. I mean, I mean, you know, everything happened, but no, not real. I mean, me and Simon were coming back from this, we'd been over this forest drinking uh, strong cider and we'd discovered this weird old train platform that was just in the fucking woods, you know. Now, in, in hindsight, what's happened is they've moved the line and just left the station building there. But now it's become overgrown. So we found it. We went in the forest and found this station building. It was incredible. The lights were on. All the posters were there from the 70s. And we were like, what the fuck is this? It's amazing. But as, as it was raining quite heavily. And as we walked back to the house... I slipped and I hit my head on a log and knocked myself unconscious. And he thought I was fucking around by not answering him. And so he just went off and left me. Oh, my God. Oh, no. But as I was, oh, as I was coming to, I heard him say, I'm going to go and get a Chinese food. <laughs> and then he left. And like, it took me like 35 minutes to get my shit together and to sit up and check I was not injured. And then... By the time I walked through our back garden door to the house where he was sat eating chow mein, he was like, well, where the fuck, where were you? He was like, well, you left me, you dick, you know. 
So he just left me. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> One more thing on this note. Wow. Later this month here in America, the Pentagon is releasing all these declassified UFO reports. Yeah. Have you been watching that and seeing all this crazy footage that they've been leaking down here? And what's your take on it? Yeah, I mean, again, I, I'd be... We're not alone, obviously. It's just too big. Uh, I mean, the only thing that goes against this for me is how how have they traveled so far to get here? It seems like a waste of gas. <laughs> <laughs> and also, it's like, I mean, it's serious. If it is, it is it, I'm kind of fucking frightened by it. You know, I, I'm not sure I can ever see anything good coming of it. You know, I just, yeah. I mean, I think I've, I'm almost 50 now and it's like I've avoided being conscripted for a war. There's nothing really that bad has happened. So I'm hoping that I can live a full life and not have to worry about, oh, now there are fucking aliens, you know. The pandemic is bad enough because it's like, you know, I'm someone who worries, you know, I was in LA a few, uh, like six weeks ago, we were there for seven months shooting why women kill and I'm fucking terrified of earthquakes. So it's like every, I've got like 10 apps and then I'm saying to my girlfriend, Did you, you fucking feel that? And there's nothing at all. There's nothing at all. But like in my life, I kind of thought, oh, I don't want to see a volcano erupting and, and earthquakes and stuff. But I never imagined that we would have to go through a global pandemic. That was never on a list. Even after seeing like, outbreak and the one where Gwyneth dies really amazingly. Yes. <laughs> Contagion, is that what it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even after seeing those, I never thought oh, that'd actually be real. Yeah. Oh, that's it's a bit insane. And to see how humanity reacts to something like that and then you figure if an alien craft actually came and that became where I don't even know. It's the people I don't even know how it would react. That's that's the scary yeah, yeah, part to me. Be, I mean, we just shoot them and then they'd get the Boo Crew will be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. In 1968, George Romero brought us Night of the Living Dead. It became the classic horror film of its time. It gets up and kills. The people it kills get up and kill. Now, George Romero brings us the most intensely shocking motion picture experience for all times. Dawn of the Dead. This situation must be controlled before it's too late. They are multiplying too rapidly. Night of the Living Dead has ended. Dawn of the Dead is here. Not that room! Not that room! They must be destroyed on sight! Dawn of the Dead. This picture contains scenes of violence that may be considered shocking. No one under 17 will be admitted. Dawn of the Dead. From United Film Distributing Company. (laughs) 
when one steps back and looks at what you've accomplished so far as one big body of work, it's full of unpredictable twists and turns. And there's a real joy in going on that ride with you from a fan's perspective. As a storyteller, you have a really unique way of vanishing into these people you create. What do you love most about that craft of finding these different characters from within and the journey to bringing them to life? That's my job. You know, that's all I have to do, really. I think there's a, you know, there's, uh, this is going to sound self-deprecating now, but there's something about being fairly plain looking. That means you can be anyone and people believe that, you know. I always set out to not be the same in anything I've done. And I think I've done that. And I'm really proud to, to say that I did that, you know, because I don't want people to watch me and think, oh, this fucking guy again, you know. So hopefully with Why Women Kill and playing Bertram, I had a beer for 10 years, which is now gone. And it's, I look completely different, you know. So I kind of like the fact that I can be, maybe I'd make like a good spy because I can just be any, I take well to any kind of classes and but i just love it it's it's not e- easy for me you know i struggle doing the job i do because I'm, i suffer a lot with you know i'm very anxious and and i, I don't want to fuck up you know i, I mean I, I think my therapist would say you need to love yourself a bit more and realize that you've been doing this for 20 years and you you can do this <laughs> you know you got it you don't have to panic but it's still in me that I'm physically ill a lot when I do a job and I work like every hour to make sure that I know everything about the script because I don't want to fuck it up. I don't want to let myself down. I don't want to let the production down. You know, I want to be good. It's like I have, I have a large family that I think there's a an odd kind of there's a weird kind of misconception that because you do a bit of TV every now and again, you're a multi-billionaire and you're just fucking rolling in it. Which, let me just say, relatively speaking, I'm, I'm pretty cool, you know, I'm all right, but it's not like I don't have to work. <laughs> it's not like I, I have to sit, I can sit back and say, ah, finished. That's it, I've got enough, you guys will be fine. It's like, I, I have to graft every fucking day, you know, and it's it's... You know, I wouldn't want that to get in the way of trying to make art or trying to make something which is believable and likable and fun and, and you know, maybe a character where they say, oh, I did not expect you to do that. You know, Before we get into Bertram, Declan Oren, right? The Beggar King on yeah. The Nevers, a very complicated character in exactly the sense that you're talking about you instill so much richness into this guy by playing him in a way that it's the fact that he's a family man with a big heart who also has this awful terrible side to him that goes really beyond just words on a script doesn't it like what kind of homework goes into figuring out the mechanics of the subtleties to achieving that magic trick to make him interesting and likable as you do well when you i think the second part of this season we're going to work out. Well, I think we're going to look a bit more about his family and stuff. And I think when you know he has a family, it makes it very simple in terms of why he does what he does. But then when you see him enjoy inflicting physical pain on people, then that's a different kettle of fish. That's all about him. That's not about putting bread on the table. That's about his own enjoyment. And I think someone like Declan is... I think there have been people like Declan since time immemorial, you know, just, 
I always, it's difficult. I, I always refer to them as like the 1%. It's like men in general, all men, if we're in a bar or a pub, we puff our sh- chests up slightly and we look at other men. Who is he, he? This guy's coming into the pub. Will I ever have to fight you? Is, is what goes through my head, being a working class man. If I do, will you kill me? Uh, is this going to be, you know what I mean? So in terms of what I'm saying about the 1%, it's fine to act tough. But if you happen to act tough to the 1% of man who does not fuck around and will happily fuck you up and not give a shit about it and they will get in their car and they will drive off and not give two hoots about whether or not you're alive, that's what you've got to watch as a human. You've got to watch that 1% of man. And so I, want, I wanted him to be that. I wanted him to be that that kind of man where even though you're in a pub and you're having a laugh with him, if you happen to say the wrong thing that that he takes the wrong way, you got a big fucking problem. You know? He's like he's like Begbie in train spotters as well. Just madness and violence for the sake of it, you know. And it's terrifying because it, it can be unleashed at any point. I, I lived abroad when I was 18, 19. And I, I went to the bathroom and a mate, a mate, he wasn't a mate, but a guy said, oh, uh, so-and-so wants to see you down in the bar. He's been looking for you. I said, oh, okay, fine. So I went down and found him and he was sat in a booth at the back of this bar. And I sit down, I said, hey, man, so-and-so said you wanted to talk to me. And he said, yeah. And he, I, I looked down and he's got a big uh, knife. And he said, I'm going to fucking stab you, you fat cunt. What the and so, oh my gosh. What had happened was he was a bit mad. He was not in a, in a, he was sick. He was a sick man, you know. He needed treatment. He needed help. He was, you know, he was suffering really. And every one of these two guys had got into his head that I had been saying things about him that I did not ever say. But it was so much so that it got to a point where he was going to, he wanted to kill me. And so I wanted, some of that to be in Declan. Oh. That you don't know what's coming. <laughs> you know. Oh my wow. God. Wow. How did you defuse that situation? I just, we just talked for like an hour and I was really honest and I made him laugh and we cried a bit and then I got him a drink and, and it, it, he became, I don't know. He, there was a weird schism where I was living between these, these two groups and he kind of changed a bit after that. Unbelievable. Wow. What a story, man. Wow. Leo, you had a question about bringing Bertram to life. Yeah. What are some of the bits of your personality that you bring to your character, Bertram? I am a serial killer. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I don't know. Again, like with Bertram, it's like, there are a few characters in horror that I, I really enjoy, uh, yet shouldn't. You know, if you have you ever see, you seen the movie Man Bites Dog? That's a documentary about a film crew following a serial killer while he does his business. And you shouldn't lie, that man. You shouldn't feel sorry for this fucking guy. But he's really nice. You know, he's really nice. And there was another film. It's, I think it's a Dutch film about like a like a guy and a girl who, a boyfriend and girlfriend, they go to a service station and she says, oh, I'm just going to go to the bathroom and she never comes back. 
Uh, they made like a remake of it, like an American remake of it. But it's incredible. He waits there for like 10 hours before going to the police to say, my girlfriend has come home. And then the murderer contacts him five years later to say, hey, if you want to know what happened to your girlfriend, come to me, come to meet me, and I'll show you what happened. And he's compelled by it. He has to go and... But again, the murderer in that is such an idiot. And you shouldn't like him, but I kind of felt sorry for him. You know, there's been a few people like that in films that I... Have you seen the show You? No, no. You fall in love with this serial killer and you can't help to love him, but you're like, why do I love this person? They're doing (laughs) such horrible, horrible things. It's like people that write love letters to Jeffrey Dahmer or, or it's like, what are you doing? How can you find that attractive? But I wanted Bertram to be that, you know, he's an, he's an oaf. You know, he really loves Alma. He loves the family. He loves his daughter. And he doesn't see that he's doing anything wrong. You know, he sees that he thinks he's, he's helping people. And there's a line Alma says in one of the later episodes when she says, well, did they ask to be helped? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, what about i mean the era of the 40s is probably one of our favorite eras and it was brought so enchantingly to life with these incredible costumes that you guys get to wear in the period cars and what is it like to play in that space does that ever get old to you to see how they create all this stuff no not at all i mean that that's you know i never i never trained as an actor you know so i take the the, the greatest joy by walking onto a set for the first time and seeing how it's decorated and seeing that there's stuff in the drawers, that it's, I don't know, just hanging out with the camera guys, that's where I want to be, you know. But it's in terms of the, hanging out in the 40s, it was, I'd love to see what the um, statistics were on, on fat men and suicide in the 1940s because uh, the costumes that I was forced to wear were so unflattering for a big fat guy that I, I think fat guys must just be killing themselves <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> the Having to go out wearing really high trousers so you just see like a massive egg. It was difficult to get dressed up every... I had to get them to remove all the mirrors from my trailer because I just couldn't look. I couldn't... I hated the way I looked, you know. I think me personally, as a, as a person, I'm... You know, this lockdown's been great because it's like... That's how I dress normally, you know, uh, like sweats and T-shirts and stuff like that. So to actually then have to do a role where you you have to wear a very tiny cardigan uh, and a, a bow tie and stuff like that and shave your beard so you have, you see your face, you know, it was uh, it was kind of shocking. And there was a weird thing with ninety because Janie who did the costumes, she did a fantastic job, but. She likes period underwear too. Oh wow, wow! She goes far. Wow, that's yeah. dedication. Yes, she did uh, Mad Men, so uh, you know she she's she's great. But I'm not sure if I can say the phrase period underwear. But that's it. <laughs> um, but she would always insist on me wearing socks from the 1930s. I think men must have had very thin ankles a hundred years ago because it was would literally take 20 minutes to pull a pair of fucking socks on. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> was that filmed at Paramount? Yes, in, in Radford, Radford Avenue or somewhere like that in Burbank. We're actually in Burbank right now. Oh, I, I loved it. I really, you know, I'm glad I'm home and stuff, but it was, uh, I've never really, I've done bits and pieces over there, but I never stayed there for a long time. 
acting opposite Alma, played by Alison Tolman, who's so great in this, how much of your character lines and mannerisms are improvised versus staying on script? Mark Cherry, who, like, created this and, and wrote it, and, you know, they have such an amazing writing team, and it's, it's kind of all written, but, you know, they're, they're very good. You know, we get our scripts, like, a week or 10 days in advance, and then we rehearse them on the day for, like, an hour before we shoot the thing. So if it makes sense and it's funny and it's better than what's on the page and in rehearsal it gets a laugh, then we generally get to shoot a version of it that could be mine or Alison says, oh, I'd like to try that. We get a chance to try that, you know. I think that's one of the joys of being a 20-year veteran of acting where you, you actually have the power to say, I'd love to have a, a voice, even if it's a very small one, just to say, could I try this or, you know, and to not be afraid to, to voice that, you know. When you sit down and you see the completed product with the voiceover and the amazing score and like you said, the way it's so well written, you're seeing what all the other characters are saying in their parts. What do you feel that that lacquer of whimsy that is kind of applied to everything in it, what does that do to the experience of the story? I've got to say, uh, I don't watch it. Once it's done, it's done. It's That's gone. it for you. Yeah, because I was sent episode one and I watched five minutes of it and just hated everything I did. So, Oh, my uh, God. It's dude, so you're good. so great at it. It's, yeah, it's amazing. Sometimes, sometimes like, uh, over the past kind of five years, there's been a time when me and my girlfriend have been staying in a hotel or we've come back late and put the telly on and, like, Paul's been on. It's like, hey, wait, let's watch this. So, And I've managed to watch most of it, you know. But I think it probably probably in 10 years' time, I'll be able to, to watch it and enjoy it and not be critical of what I've done. There is a Shaun of the Dead book coming out October 19th, and it's yes. called You've Got Red on You, How Shaun of the Dead Was Brought to Life. I am so excited for it. What can you tell us about this book? I ha- uh, Listen, it's by Clark Collis. He's a very, very lovely, clever man. And I can't, I literally did like a 20 minute interview with him. So you, I am going to be as thrilled as you are to, to read it. Shaun of the Dead is literally my most favorite movie of all time. And I'm sure you get that all the time. And so I just wanted to ask you my favorite scene. I mean, the whole movie is my favorite scene. So it's really hard to pick one scene. But the one where you and Shaun are throwing the records. Did you guys do multiple takes of that? Did you guys have to refill the record crate? Take us back to that scene and what it was like filming it. It was, we were filming in, in um, North London. We were in a little house, the lovely garden. And the thing that I remember most is um, it rained a lot. It rained a lot, like so much so that we just had to sit in tents and just wait for it to stop, you know. So it really kind of screwed us. Um, secondly, me and Simon were really frightened about throwing things at those uh, Mark and 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 Mary, and because we didn't want to hurt them, you know. There's that really weird thing. It's like I'm going to throw this at you now, and I'm you can't blink because you're dead. Have at it, you know. But I, Edgar does a thing where he'll come over and then he'll say to us really quietly, "Really go for it, really." Go for it. <laughs> uh, all right, okay. So, yeah, I mean, throwing things at people is not, like, my, my, my thing. We, we had a couple of times, like, there's the other scene when we go to get Philip and then I have to, there's the kind of 
little montage and then we have to hit him with a cricket bat. And again, it's like I had to say to Bill like 10 times, hey, I'm so sorry about this, you know, because it didn't, you could see that I wasn't doing it properly because I didn't want to hurt him. And then the second thing about that scene, about that, during that scene, when Simon and I, with Naira, our producer, was sat under a tent waiting for it to stop raining, that was where we had the idea to sh- for Paul. So it essentially started by us saying, wouldn't it be great if we could shoot a film somewhere where it didn't fucking rain? And became, <laughs> Why don't we shoot something in the desert and then we were skateboarding? Yeah, Area 51, it's in, you know, Roswell or something. And, and that's where Paul started there. That you was are, amazing. You are a god, man. That is incredible. <laughs> Dude, thank you so much yeah. for doing this. Thank I appreciate you. it so much. You were amazing. Uh, thank you for having me. That was the Boo Crew Podcast episode 235. Special thanks to our guest, Nick Frost. Follow him at Fried Gold on Instagram and Nick J. Frost on Twitter. At time of release, check out season two of Why Women Kill, airing exclusively on Paramount Plus with a new episode every Thursday. Production tracks provided by Power Man 5000. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying, you've got red on you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the bloody disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network. Home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews. SCP archives. Weekly full cast storytelling. Horror queers. Genre commentary from an LGTBQ perspective. And creepy. For disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.